Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I am so excited to say that just over a week from the time this goes out, I will be in Sao Paulo, Brazil at the Retro Game Festival. I'll leave a link to tickets in the description everywhere that you could listen and see these, but holy crap, I'm so excited. So if you're going to be around that area, please come and say hi. And also, I'm really pumped to meet .mu, who's going to be there as well, so you could meet them too. So just can't wait to meet all of you. I'm really excited and really happy I get to go, and it's going to be a fun weekend of just a bunch of retro game and nerdiness in Sao Paulo, Brazil. But anyway, let's jump in and see what we got for the news this week. Elrinth has recently released a video that demoed a bunch of different Virtual Boy multiplayer games, which is kind of an interesting topic in itself because there was never official multiplayer support ever released in any Virtual Boy game. But there were some interesting things that happened over the years where somebody had originally found hidden two-player support for Mario Tennis that was not available in the official game, but once the ROM was unpacked, that was found. And then, of course, custom homebrew link cables were made using the expansion port for the Virtual Boy that could connect two together and play that game. And then proof-of-concept games were released, which were never aiming to be the best Virtual Boy game, but they were really just showing how you could get two-player support working and kind of laying the groundwork for other games to add it. And then some pretty awesome games have recently featured it, such as Elevate Speed and um, Formula V. I don't know why I paused on that one. Both were very cool. So Elrinth ran through these and used a deep fake program to get the angry video game nerd in there. And he even asked James for permission, who said, yes, as long as you just tell everybody this is a deep fake video, sure, you could you could do it. So I thought all of it was pretty cool. I thought, you know, the history of the Virtual Boy multiplayer games with some demos, with some silly satire, including a fake angry video game nerd, and the fact that James allowed him to do that. I mean, I th all of this is just a very fun and cool thing for Virtual Boy fans. It's a short video. And of course, you know, I just have to remind everybody that the silliness and the sarcasm is just meant to be funny. No one's mocking any of these homebrew devs for making proof-of-concept games. They're just kind of being funny about it. At least I thought it was funny. You don't have to, as long as you know that no harm or, you know, no uh, ill intent from anybody came out of this one. But I thought it was an entertaining video and I thought it was a pretty cool look into the different options for it. And someday, hopefully, I could finally swing around to doing a Virtual Boy multiplayer stream. I did the Hyper Fighting stream a while back, which was awesome, but I'd love to do something similar to what Elrinth did, but just play some of the newer games, especially the racing games, you know, live and on stream, just so we could all kind of have fun together, but I guess we'll have to save that for another day. Chris from Displaced Gamers recently released another video in his Behind the Code series that digs into the code of classic video games and explains how certain things work, why certain things are as quirky as they are, and in this one, Chris focused on the AI for Quickman in Mega Man 2. And anybody that's played the game probably has noticed a few weird things about it. And Chris kind of digs in deep into why that happens, how it happens, and, and kind of how it can't be easily fixed. So I thought this one was very interesting. I also enjoyed watching kind of the extra frame-by-frame -frame motion of how a quick man gets stuck in the wall a little bit. So that's kind of a fun and interesting one. But if you're into behind-the-scenes stuff, if you're into digging deep into nerdy software things, or if you're even like me and you're not quite smart enough to understand what's going on but you're still curious, then I strongly recommend giving it a shot because it was a good video and it was pretty interesting to see 
some of the reasons why that character, that boss in Mega Man 2 is a little weird. So another good one from Chris. This week's roundup is brought to you once again by JLC PCB. And this week I want to talk about how to order your PCBs right through them. So just go directly to the website, click on order now, and just hit add Gerber file. You don't really need to worry about anything else on that page yet. I know it's kind of intimidating for somebody who hasn't really done this before, but just wait for your Gerber file to load, and then you could check any of the options you want below. Now, normally any of the options you'll need will be pre-selected based on the files that you upload, but you can tweak them to your liking. And I think the most common thing people might want to tweak is what color their PCB shows up as. So I usually use just certain color codes for prototypes and others for production, but there really isn't a right or wrong thing. It's just however you want to do it. After you're done, hit save to cart and then either sign into your JLC PCB account, or if it's your first time doing it, you can create one right there. After you're logged in, just hit save to cart and then view cart in order to view whatever PCBs that you've added. If that's the only one that you need, then just go to secure checkout and begin the checkout process. After that, it'll ask you to confirm your address, which I'm obviously not going to show here, but then you get to choose your shipping method, which I always think is pretty cool. If you want very fast shipping, you can select the first option, which is a bit expensive, but you'll get your PCB really quickly. The bottom two options are great if you're on a budget and you're not in too much of a rush to get it, and the price is really impressive. Less than $6 total for a couple of PCBs and shipping. And there's a couple other options if you're interested, but I mostly just either like to use the fastest one or the slowest one, depending on I'm in a rush or not. And after that, that's pretty much it. Just submit everything through and then enter either PayPal or your credit card in order to pay for it. And you'll pretty soon get some confirmations that the PCBs are being made and then another confirmation after they ship. So that's pretty much everything you need to know to have basic PCBs made from jlcpcb.com for under $6. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As always, I'm just going to skim through these, and if you hear of any topic that interests you, please check out Lou's post, and of course, subscribe to Lou's channel and check out the video if you want it delivered in video form. But let's run through and see what we got. The Alpha Mission Core was released and converted to a multi-game core, because other games that were made on that same arcade platform were Akari Warriors, Guerrilla War, Victory Road, and more. Now, so far, only Alpha Mission is supported, but this lays the groundwork for those future games that might be coming at some point. So that's good news if you're a fan of those games. Um, also, uh, the Mr. Mister Retro Wolf has released episode 13 of the Mr. Core development series, which is something that I always really appreciate. Even though I'm never going to be an FPGA developer, it's so cool to see stuff like this, and especially to allow people who are looking to get into it figure out how exactly they can get started and what steps they need to take. Also, the PlayStation Mr. Core is no longer in beta. It's officially been released, and it is awesome. Uh, there's, I'm sure, going to be a bunch of people posting different highlights of it. I saw a few videos recently that I wanted to write up, which should probably be posted on the site in a few days, about people were highlighting certain features of things that can't be done on original hardware. And as a hardware nerd, that's really what interests me the most. Once the game starts being played, I just get sucked into the game. But when we're talking about it, when we're analyzing it, that's the stuff that really gets me fired up. So hopefully people will dig pretty deep into that and show the different things that you could do as time goes on. 
Also, just a reminder that you only need one RAM stick. When this project first started, it was really unknown if you were going to need a different Mr. Setup, if you were going to need to swap out parts, but it runs totally fine with one RAM stick only, which is what most people would probably have anyway. Also, there's a new PCXT core in development. It has just started out, but it's based on an Intel 8088 CPU, which means that, you know, there's just one more awesome old computer added to the list, starting out at least. A couple of Hotego updates. He's been working on multiple cores at once, just kind of getting some things worked out and doing work on the system, Sega System 18 schematics directly from the PC. Schematics. I think I said that wrong. Wow, I'm sharp today, huh? <laughs> uh, but they're going to keep working on that, the whole team, and eventually get games like Moonwalker, Shadow Dancer, and Alien Storm working once the System 18 schematics really start to work through. Also, he'd work through 93% of the CPU instructions for the Neo Geo Pocket, which is pretty awesome because that is another console that I haven't spent too much time with that I would love to see an FPGA core about. Next was some info on the Mr. Multisystem, but I'm going to talk about that in a post coming up in a few moments. I'm just going to politely skip over that one. Next, Furtech has posted the first in-game pictures for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles core, and it's basically just kind of a boot screen, but it's really awesome to see that making progress, and I think a lot of people are very excited about cores like that one. Also, when Lou had made this video, he posted that there is a build of the SNES MSU1 core that's still an unstable build, but right as I started recording this, it looks like it's now officially in the update script. So run any of your update scripts, and you should be able to run MSU1 games the same exact way that you would on the FX Pack Pro. I haven't had time to test this one yet. Uh, I'm really excited to because there's a few really awesome ones, uh, really awesome MSU1 hacks that I haven't tried yet that I really want to get into, especially the Sam Miller or Donkey Kong Country ones. I liked those games. They weren't my favorite, but I really want to re-experience them with that soundtrack, and hopefully it'll be, at least for me personally, as exciting as it was for Super Metroid. Obviously, the games you like more, that's going to be more of a difference for you, but if you have a mister, now's the time to really check out a lot of the very, very cool MSU1 patches, and Zeldix.net has a ton of info on that and a lot of links to everything you need, so definitely time to get fired up about MSU1. Also, uh, a few mo other miscellaneous updates. Um, there's been a bunch of fixes for arcade cores like Finalizer, Iron Horse, and Jackal. And Mr. So the main Mr. Software has added fixes that help with the PlayStation Core, Turbo Graphics, and a few other things. So, as always, uh, if you want your info directly as soon as it comes out, please subscribe to Lou on YouTube. And thanks very much to Lou for keeping us in the loop for all of this stuff. This week's long-form podcast conversation, whatever you want to call it, is with Todd from RetroFrog slash Todd's Nerd Cave. And this was one of the laid back, just two friends hanging out bullshitting type of podcasts, which are selfishly some of my favorites to do because I haven't talked to Todd in a while. It was great to catch up and just kind of talk about whatever. So I know a lot of people really like those because they get the intent of, you know, pull up your virtual chair at the coffee shop, bar, or whatever, and hang out with us. A lot of other people don't. They really just want a technical deep dive. But that's kind of the good thing about this stuff. is It's all free. So just listen to whatever it is that you, you feel like listening to. And I try to 
always make the descriptions a little bit clearer, or, or, or try to be as clear as possible on what types of conversations these are. So hopefully, you know, if you have any suggestions, I'll gladly take them. But I'm not going to stop making this content, but I would love to find ways to make it easier to figure out who's who and what type of conversation it is. But this was just a fun one. And based on the feedback I've gotten, people seem to enjoy it as well. So if, uh, you know, if you're driving or commuting or something and you just want uh, just to hang out with Todd and I, that this is definitely the perfect one to download and listen to on every platform. I, I don't pick and choose. If there is a podcast platform, I want to make it available because I really don't care where it's at as long as you're able to listen to it. So check them out everywhere. And of course, check out all of Todd's stuff. And thanks for uh, Todd for taking this time to do that with me. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video of how to officially load Linux on a PlayStation 2. And this is something that I had mostly forgotten about because a lot of people talked about it when it was first released, but you could essentially turn your PS2 into a Linux PC. And you were originally able to do that with the PS3 as well, but that functionality got removed and anybody with an original PS3 probably should have gotten a check for 10 bucks in the mail a couple years ago at least. But this is a very neat look into what this process is like and what you could do with it. And it's a bit of a pain to do yourself. Tito shows in the video there's a bunch of disk swapping. You need something that supports sync on green in order to use it because for some reason that I genuinely cannot understand, Sony made it so that you have to use a 480p mode only on a sync on green monitor. You can't just use component video. So... Uh, you know, it's kind of a pain to do yourself, and it's not something that most people would probably do just to experiment with, which is why it's really awesome that Tito did this video, so anybody who's curious about what the whole process is like and what the system is like can just watch the video and watch Tito do all the annoying work for us. So if you've ever even been curious about what that process is like or what it looks like at the end, definitely check out Tito's video and see for yourself. And, you know, actually, just out of curiosity, has anybody listening who, who has time and feels like commenting done this? And what did you use it for? Would you have done what I did, what I would have done and just loaded up just to see if you could do it? Or did you actually use it for something? Was there a tool that you needed or was there something that could only be done on a PS2? I'm just really curious to see what people have to say about that because it always seemed like a neat feature. I just couldn't really understand what I would ever use it for. Reese just put together a post with more info about the upcoming Mr. Multisystem, but I have to start out by just politely reminding everybody that we're in the middle of a global part shortage, and while this is a real product that you will be able to buy at some point, no one really knows when. So they have goals that they're trying to hit and price points they're trying to hit, but it's just not up to them at all. So while I'm happy to share this info and I'm probably just as excited as you, I just want to always set expectations correctly for everybody, both for the people that are psyched about it and for, of course, the developers, because I don't ever want to put too much pressure on them. But anyway, RMC just posted a full, long, detailed video with a lot of info about the handheld Mr. Multisystem. So if you're interested, you could dig in deep. Also on Reese's channel, uh, Reese was able to talk with Richard and also ask his own questions about it and kind of dig in. So really, if you wanted any info on it, 
Reese got you covered. The Post is a great thing to skim if you just wanted basic specs like integrated 1080p screen, uh, you know, seven to eight hours of battery life. Uh, if you wanted kind of a shorter overview, you could try Reese's video. And then if you really want all the info, check out the RMC video for everything you need. So thanks to Reese for summing all that up for everybody in one handy post. And of course, you know, kudos on the Mr. Multisystem team, because I'm really interested to see how this pans out. And I think this is going to be a product a lot of people enjoy. Crix has just released a new NES core for the latest revision, EverDrive 64. And yes, you heard that right, an NES core for the N64. The way this works is by using the FPGA on the later model EverDrives to run an official NES core that's mostly cycle accurate. However, it has to be overclocked in certain ways in order to fit and work on the N64. So there, at least at the moment, some compatibility issues. But basically, if you have the latest EverDrive 64 X5 and X7, then you should be able to try this out and see what you think. And of course, you know, with so many different ways to play NES these days that are excellent, it's very easy to kind of skip over something like this and say, oh, that's cool, I'll give it a try later. But I think there's just so many of us that have consoles that are RGB modded and some that are not. So if you have your original toaster NES and you haven't modded it, you just wanted to keep it stock, but you would have preferred having a little better quality out of your console, then hey, this is a perfect thing if you already own an EverDrive in an N64. And of course, I mean this with love and respect. I don't think Crix is expecting anybody to go out and buy this just to be able to play NES games on your N64. But if you already have it, I think it's awesome. And I think it's something that a bunch of people would definitely do, uh, especially if you have any kind of controller adapters, or if you want to try to play classic games on the worst controllers ever designed. Ugh, N64 fans are going to give it to me for saying that. But anyway, if you want any info, please check out Ronnie's post on this. He walks you through everything that you need and how to install this new core on your EverDrive 64, X5, and X7. So, uh, you know, and of course, as always, I never get tired of saying this. Thank you to all of the developers in Retro Gaming who continuously give us these free updates for existing products. That is not common in the world at all to get such huge updates. They're usually tagged with newer hardware and more expensive upgrades or, or even the companies that make you pay for software upgrades. And Crix has continuously delivered long after you've gotten your money's worth of these carts. So thanks to Crix and everybody else that does that because it just it's something that we all appreciate. The plug-and-play optical drive emulators for the 3DO that I talked about a while back are now available for pre-order with shipping aiming for September. Of course, we're in a part shortage, so that could mean December or whatever else, but I think it's more of a realistic guess because I believe Fixel had some of the parts, or at least some of the harder-to-find parts stocked up for this. But if you're unaware of the project, there are two choices that you could get. Both are plug-and-play. You don't need to solder anything, you don't need to to cut any traces, but one of them is a plug-and-play device that plugs into the rear expansion slot of every single 3DO console out there, except the PC card thing, which probably nobody has anyway, but the actual console that, you know, that you put discs in 
any one of those 3DO models you should be able to use with this. And you just insert it and you boot right from this. You do not need a working CD-ROM drive. However, you can use both because it's, it's just a plug-and-play device. So even if you had to remove it to access the CD-ROM drive, it's just like plugging in an expansion slot in the back. So this is an excellent thing for people with multiple 3DOs or people who just want to keep original functionality but still rely on ISOs rather than older CDs and spinning optical media because those things definitely have a shelf life. So this is certainly a way to, to preserve that to last longer. That is unfortunately $350, but I cannot imagine that's a price that Fixel made up that's going to be, you know, reflecting on a lot of cost issues that are out there today. So it is a bit more expensive than I believe uh, a lot of us guessed, but I don't think it's an unfair price, especially considering how much everything costs and part shortages and all that stuff. Now, if you have an FZ1 model 3DO with a dead CD drive, you could just install the internal version. At the moment, it's only compatible with the FZ1, not the other models, but it's $100 cheaper. And there's even that 3D printed mount that we talked about a week or two ago uh, from Robert Dale Smith that allows you to mount it kind of nicely. But once again, there's is, this is a plug-and-play device. You remove the existing drive, you put this in its place, you don't have to worry about any kind of crazy soldering or going to different points on the board. So both of these are absolutely excellent choices for 3DO fans. They're both available to pre-order right now, and the hope is that they'll ship in September, but once again, I wouldn't put pressure on any developer to get that out with so many things going on today. But this is really awesome. I ordered one I'm excited to try it out. I had owned the previous one on a, the 3DO that I had a while back, and I didn't have any problems with it, but I'm really interested to see how this one's going to work. And just based on what I've seen so far, I have a feeling this one's going to be cooler. So, And, you know, that's not throwing stones either, of course, because anytime you have a newer product that is competition to an older one, of course it's going to be better. Who would release an alternative that, that's not as good as something that's already out there? So I'm not throwing shade at anybody. I'm just saying I have a feeling that if you don't already own an optical drive emulator for your 3DO, this is going to be your go-to. So uh, check out the links for everything that you would need to know. And as soon as I receive mine, I'll definitely do a video on it and show everybody how it works, what I think. And uh, hopefully I'll get Audie back to play some real 3DO games. unlike some of the gems that he had me play last time. I don't know. So I'm referencing a silly live stream from a year ago if you hadn't caught that one. But we'll do another one and we'll make it fun, even more fun this time. This weekend is your last chance to pre-order the official re-release of Battletoads Double Dragon for the NES. I know this post is about a month old, but when I first talked about it, pre-orders had just opened, and now this is it. By Sunday at midnight, I believe, pre-orders are closed, and at least for the foreseeable medium-term future, this will be your last chance to purchase this at basic retail price. Uh, now, all of the speculation that I talked about last time seemed to have been spot on based on a few things that followed up, but it looks like the box is the same size and shape as an original NES box, which means it should look right on your on your shelf. I say should because I don't like to guarantee things that I haven't seen myself, and heck, I've seen things in person that were different when they were released, so I always like to be fair to everybody for that, but that seems fine based on RetroBit's previous work. 
Um, the PCB should be properly made and, and safe to use. It looks really cool from the pictures. And this is a game where the original version sells for quite a bit more than this official repro. So this is really one of those things that I think is a really great opportunity for people that want original cartridges. I made the point last time that this is not some cash grab re-release. I think Retrobit has built a pretty good reputation, more than pretty good reputation for their re-releases. And this is something that I think a bunch of people would be into, which is why I felt the need to talk about it again. So um, if you want any info on this or if you want to order it, just go to retrorgb.link forward slash battletoad dd if you're listening audio only like many of you do then that's probably easier for me to call out <laughs> retrorgb.link forward slash battletoad dd no spaces or anything like that um, and that'll bring you right to the pre-order page up until this sunday at midnight and then that's it so hopefully everybody who wants one gets one well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thanks to everybody who supports in any way possible, because it's you that's keeping all of these videos, the podcasts, and all of the behind-the-scenes work going. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.